This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 456 for Thursday, November 24th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we're into. First, I want to say a very happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners before welcoming Alistair McFly back on the show, co-host of LongRangeSensors.com and Alistair McFly on social media, and of course, Alistair McFly on Twitch, a server mate of mine. Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. Great to have you back. Two times in one month. I know. It's uh, not a completely unique experience, but a rare one. Um, you've got a little mm -hmm. bit of time off. And uh, I've found that some of my American co-hosts are a bit busy with family this week. Uh, <laughs> tip of the hat and, and best wishes to Brockett. Uh, we were going to try to have him on the show, but uh, just a little bit busy with uh, two tykes under five uh, and a family for Thanksgiving. So uh, a lot going on on that front. His lost my game. <laughs> that's fair i'll take that compliment thank you very much uh so i wanted to ask you like what what's been new in the last couple of weeks in terms of like geeky stuff that you've been doing things that are on that uh that nerd radar because i've had time off i've gone back to twitch so i've returned to minecraft so that's where uh, a lot of my stuff has, has been happening but i've also been doing some behind the scenes stuff for it as well so for those who have seen my streams I incorporated a Dalek a little while ago. It was like a, a redemption reward. So you could have the Dalek basically take over the stream. And with some of the latest updates, it broke. And it was, it was astonishing that it even worked in the first place because I'm running on a Mac with Apple Silicon. And I was doing workarounds that were designed for Intel. And I'd had to joyrig them to even get it to even work. So unsurprising that a new operating system ended up being incompatible. So I had to redo the whole thing from the ground up, find stuff that works natively on Apple Silicon. And it's now working really, really well. I've also added some more movement to make it feel a bit more alive. But basically, you just have this little Dalek just sat in the corner. And as I'm talking, then you know everything's lighting up and, and things like that. And it, it's a lot of fun. So when you're talking, does it always sound like a Dalek? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, my microphone is a dynamic microphone that has a ring modulator built in. Right. So ever since the Daleks were introduced on TV, that's what they've done to do the voice. So I just hit a button on my microphone and it suddenly becomes, you are listening to the Citadel Cafe. <laughs> and so I can just enable it and disable it whenever I want. But you have to do you have to do the impression like the the voice oh, yes. cadence you have to do because I just yeah. I I find it amusing that you know someone like a mutual friend of ours Cosmic Dancer would come into your stream to moderate and the the Dalek would go hello Cosmic or oh hi Cosmic <laughs> you know I, yeah. I I find it I I would find the the combination of just a casual sentence but the Dalek voice at the same time would be very amusing to me like, it's oh, like yeah as if the Dalek is breaking character <laughs> you know oh there was there was one phrase that I did which really got up Cosmic's back because I had the Dalek come in and go I located some flowers in a field and exterminated them just so that Cosmic could watch them decay in a vase <laughs> So for anybody that, that doesn't follow, uh, just to kind of bring listeners up to speed, Cosmic Dancer is oh, a yes. mutual friend and moderator on both Alistair's channel and mine and loves flowers. And any kind yes. of joke about flowers that we can muster into the stream uh, or into the, the podcast we do. Uh, I, I actually just had, uh, I was laying out some flowers the other day um, and we were all joking in the chat because Cosmic was traveling this week and wasn't around to moderate. And the one stream where I'm planting flowers, Cosmic wasn't around. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not only that, um, they actually showed up later on in the stream and I had already planted them. <laughs> so was, they, they missed it. And it was like, oh, you weren't here. You, what didn't happen. It wasn't me. You know, yeah. <laughs> just, and they weren't pink either. 
<laughs> so, oh. uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that we all had a good, a good, kind of an in joke, which is so much fun yeah. to have when you've got, I mean, for you returning to Twitch after taking a bit of a break, just cause you've been so busy. I just, it's, oh, yeah. I find it's just nice to have that community, like return to the in jokes, return to the regulars that will show up for your streams and, mm. and stuff like that. Do you, yeah. do you have a regular schedule now that you're back or are you just kind of like fitting, fitting it in whenever you can? Fitting it in when I can, yeah. uh, for the most part, just cause my schedule isn't that regular. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's fun and it's, it's definitely good sort of mental health wise. I found that when I was trying to do it on a schedule and especially doing too much, that was becoming more of a drain and it's like i don't want this to be a thing where i start to resent going onto it yep you know when i'm on there now it's because i've got free time and i'm excited and it's just fun to hang out with people again i had that issue this past year up till about august and the summer was really starting to tax on me and it wasn't that i didn't want to stream it's that mm. i wanted to stream other things i was really focusing on minecraft i was really focusing on trying to grow the channel and to do that the math says stick with one game like find a community and just dig in and try to grow yeah. and then once you hit partner if that's your goal then you can try to expand and do other things and ultimately i just kind of took a look at what partner would mean like whether it would make a difference financially like what i was really gunning for and ultimately what i wanted to do was grow the channel it wasn't really about the partner checkbox uh mm. so i decided to say screw it and just play whatever I wanted, knowing that I was going to see a dip in in viewership for other games. Minecraft on weekends still gets the same, rough, roughly the same viewership, which is fantastic. Um, but Satisfactory is something I really wanted to play. There was a new update in September. Like I really wanted to get into it. And I just let myself do it. And it it was that not that I was having like a, a mental um, problem with streaming. It was more like I... I it is part of my job. It's a big part of my job. And I did not want to drag my heels because like mm. you'd be dragging your heels into the studio to play Minecraft. And then you're just like, this is dumb. Like I'm playing Minecraft and getting paid like buck up, you know, <laughs> like you should, yeah. you should not feel this way, but just like anything else, when you turn it into a job, like there are definitely some, there's bits of baggage that come with that. And so by allowing myself to play other things whenever I was in the mood for, I still kept Minecraft to the weekends because that's when the majority of the Minecraft audience is available uh, with yeah. a, a slightly younger crowd. You know, school's not in session. You know, there's free time on weekends, that kind of thing. And so I kept it to the weekends and I was streaming satisfactory mostly during the week. Uh, and in some cases I was doing double headers where I would do like a Minecraft stream into a satisfactory stream and do like a five hour stream on a Saturday. And that was fun too, because then I get the best of both worlds. Like I, I get to play one thing that brings in the people and then play another thing that I was really itching to play. Um, but now I've actually gone the reverse. Uh, I've been streaming a lot lately because I've had more free time and I have been streaming almost exclusively Minecraft. There's an update coming to Satisfactory, but it's not out yet. And it's one of those things where like, I kind of want to wait until it's out so that I'm not like wasting time building stuff without new parts and without new ideas and things. And so yeah. And I also wanted to get more done on the project in, in Minecraft. And so I've been focusing on that and um, playing that during the week, which has been nice. And it's nice to have that creative fire lit under my Minecraft play. So do you find that now after a break coming back, your creativity is also flowing? It is. Yeah. Um, I'm, it's kind of uh, married though to how do I play Minecraft again? <laughs> because then the time away it's like it's like the creativity is there. it's like okay now i can really kind of do this i'm now you know it's not feeling like i'm just hitting a wall i can kind of go okay let's let, let's just revisit this and 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 go in and just try out all these these new block palettes that i've i've not really had chance to use and then it's like how, how do i pick a block again and, and not only that but where did i leave my stuff <laughs> my, my my first stream I just called the treasure hunt because I had no idea where anything was. I knew that I had things in different places. So I was looking around going like, where, 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 where are my, my, uh, my shulker boxes and all my gear? And I was a, a little bit lost, <laughs> to say the least. Do you have a central storage? Like, do you have one place where you keep everything? Or are you like me? You're kind of scattered everywhere. Uh, mostly one place. But I was haphazardly working on multiple projects. And I couldn't remember which one I'd worked on last. So a lot of it was me kind of going, okay, did I leave it in Atlantis? Did I leave it over by the tree farm? You know, did, did, I was helping Hannah out at one point. Did I leave it over at her base? Because it just been so long, I had no idea. And 
Uh, turns out it was right by the uh, sugarcane farm where I sacrificed chickens into lava. I drowned them in lava and then that harvest sugarcane because, you know, why wouldn't it? Right, yeah. That's where all my stuff was, yeah. And so that's what I've continued working on. One of the things I like so much about your streams is like your Rube Goldberg kind of contraptions that like do something, <laughs> but they do about six things they don't have to do. <laughs> they just do it yep. because it's fun and it usually involves barbecuing something. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's yep. that's that's one of the th fun things about Minecraft. I don't necessarily build the most efficient farms either. I tend to make things look pretty and, and I want mm. them to look a certain way and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I won't, we, we can move on a little bit. Uh, the email we have this week is actually about Minecraft or kind of sort of about Minecraft. And I can also, of course, direct everybody to the Spawn Chunks uh, at thespawnchunks.com. That's the show that I do with PixRevs about Minecraft. And since we recorded on Monday, there's been a new uh, release candidate for 119.3, which is coming out on December 6th. So um, that's going to be a new version of Minecraft coming out in the next couple of weeks. So there's a lot of news happening. So if you want more details about the, the inner workings of what's happening behind the scenes on Minecraft and the new things coming on December 6th, then check out the Spawn Chunks at thespawnchunks.com. The email this week comes in from Travis P. Not quite Minecraft is the subject. Dear Joel and Alistair, I have a question for the professional Minecraft players on the podcast. There should have been air quotes around that, but I forgot to put them. <laughs> um, even though this isn't the spawn chunks, what do you think of the idea of Minecraft mods inspiring their own games? One that I know of was inspired by mods like Terra Firmacraft and Vintagecraft is called Vintage Story. It's extremely nice and in active development, not only implementing things that were in the base mods, but also progressing beyond with the advantage of being able to control the development of the core game and engine. Have you ever heard of Vintage Story? And if you have, what do you think? Travis Blow returned to desperately searching for berries. So for, to bring people on the Citadel Cafe up to speed, every email that we get on the Spun Chunks ends with, we call them a death message, but they're not always death messages. Sometimes they they don't they don't die. Like Travis didn't die in this one. But when you die in Minecraft, mm -hmm. Minecraft will give you like a text message, like you know, Alistair died to a chicken or died to a creeper explosion, or like they give you kind of like what happened. And so all of our mm -hmm. listeners on the spawn chunks, which I believe Travis is, uh, also sign their emails with those kind of like funny. They try to come up with like a punny or a funny kind of reference to their own email and like how they died or how they didn't die and that kind of stuff so that's that's where the the sign off for searching for berries comes from and i'm assuming that searching for berries seems to be something you probably have to do a lot of in vintage story i looked it up we'll have a link to vintagestory.at in the show notes and uh to quote a quick sentence from their description vintage story was created with the desire to push the envelope of the survival voxel game genre and it looks like it's pretty hardcore there's bears attacking you in the trailer there are a lot of things out to get you uh it's voxel based so it looks a lot like minecraft it's got some different models and things but it looks like a pretty hardcore survival experience mm. and i've played a couple different games like that there was one about being lost in the north and i can't remember exactly the name of it right now but i played that as well and i found that that was kind of tedious uh, cause I, the survival game, like I don't necessarily want to like freeze to death or starve to death or, uh, be attacked by wolves and die like at every turn. Like that, that, that to me doesn't really strike me as a fun game, so to speak. And mm. I know that mods can inspire all kinds of games. And I think that it's great that Minecraft exists with these abilities like Java Minecraft in specific cases can be modded to create mini games within the game you can have um your own like different things can happen you can have different um goals different achievements in the game there's all kinds of customizability it's really really cool and i can see it inspiring young people to become coders and game designers and things like that the thing that i find with a lot of mods is that it reminds me of jurassic park People get so wrapped up in whether or not they could, they don't stop to think whether or not they should. And I find that a lot of the, my experience with mods or with games or mini games that spin out from mods, they just seem to like want to make Minecraft something that it's not. And if you're going to make a hardcore uh, survival game, voxel graphics to me doesn't sell it. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. if, if I'm going to play a game, like for example, I know that you've played some alien 
uh, from the Aliens franchise, those games. And they're meant to be scary. Yeah. Like they're meant to be kind of like scary. If that was Minecraft graphics, do you think it would be just as scary? Not at all. No, there's, yeah. When you're wanting that kind of realism, that kind of fear to be invoked, uh, happy little blocks uh, doesn't really sell yeah. it quite so much. So that's one thing I find that it's kind of a mishmash of like the kinds of games that people want to design versus the graphics that are kind of like engineered, like you said, happy little blocks. It's what people think about with Minecraft. They think it's pretty chill. They generally find it pretty laid back, right? And mm. the other side is if it is, let's say this new game that's being developed is, and, and this is not vintage story. I'm just kind of going off on a tangent. Let's say it is a happy little game, a little farming simulator or something like a Pokemon, you know, esque type game. Then I find that when they're a voxel based game, they go overboard on the voxels. Like every last little thing, every last, last little pixel is its own box and its own model. And while I often will slam Minecraft for not having enough detail in some places, wishing that there were some more sub block models for details, I find that when people make up their own models for Minecraft, they go too far in the other direction. Yeah. There is a medium point where you can add detail to Minecraft or a voxel type game and have it still look cartoony and blocky and it works. But once you get into the finer detail, if you start to get too granulated with the the pixels, specifically when the model has a higher resolution than the texture, things just start to look like you should have done it in a different engine. Or yeah. if you're going to have that kind of a detail in it, then just go to a low poly game and don't make it voxels. Make it like, you know, something that looks like a Nintendo 64 game, that, that kind of a thing. I, I was watching the trailer because I've never heard of, of this particular game or mod before. And it says that it's a, a wilderness survival sandbox game inspired by Lovecraftian horror themes. And it immediately off the bat, like it's, it's very Lovecraftian. But I agree entirely because they, with what you were just saying, because they end up adding so much more detail on this stuff where it's like, if this was a different visual design, this would be really neat, especially when they're showing like you start as a caveman in a cave with a fire and, and things, and then you've got people shivering to death in the cold and the ice and things it was just it looks really cool but because they've just gone too far on that end of the scale it almost becomes this kind of minecraftian uncanny valley yeah where it's kind of like it but it's not and at that point it starts to feel a bit awkward to me and that might just be because i typically just stick to vanilla for minecraft that's kind of what i know but it does add this kind of awkwardness because it's it's a little bit too far beyond the Minecraft side of things, but it's not enough towards what it's trying to be. Awkward is a good way to say it. It's like when you see a texture yeah. pack that's like 128 by 128 or 256 by 256, and yet it's still mm. vanilla Minecraft. And it's like, <laughs> this looks really dumb. It's like photorealistic grass with like a hard edge on a meter yeah. by meter cube, you know? <laughs> like it, it really doesn't yeah. make any sense. That said, there are some really cool mods out there and there are some really cool texture packs. Uh, I've been watching Tango Tech, uh, who is a, a member of Hermitcraft, play the Create mod in one of his series on his YouTube channel. I'll see if mm. I can remember to link that in the show notes. And that is, it's got gears and pistons and conveyor belts and all the things that look really, really cool in these kind of games. But the the person or people does behind the create mod have taken in Minecraft design aesthetics and they tend to design around the 16 pixels, right? So conveyor yeah. belts are big, chunky pixel wide things. Uh, axles are two by two or six or three by three pixel. They're not cylindrical. Like they're not round, they're square. You know, it's, it's like, it's like a Lego hmm. brick, you know, for, for the lack of a better way to describe it. And, and it, it so it all still fits. It all still feels like Minecraft, or it fits within Minecraft. You understand you're playing a mod because it does get very complicated, but it, it's that kind of thing. Like if Minecraft was a brainchild of 2022 in development now, brand new, you feel like it would look a lot more like like uh, Create Mod than it does now. I feel a, yeah. a part of the challenge, and I, and I don't envy the, the developers at, at Mojang for this reason, uh, of developing Minecraft and moving it forward. And one of the reasons why it's so popular, why you and I love it, is because it's updated. Like you buy it once and it's been updated frequently for the last 10 years, 11 years. and Which is unheard of. 100% uh, unheard of. But then they also have the challenge of like trying to stay true to its roots. Like they're pushing it forward. And I want to say in the last year or two, they've really, really pushed the envelope with 
117 and 118 and 119 the two the versions that have been coming out the last of the while the the issue is just that you know players are starting to get more mature there's other games out there uh and minecraft is trying to hold on to those players without doing this to themselves like doing the things that we're talking about with the awkward designs or making something that doesn't quote unquote feel very minecrafty and and yeah. i i imagine that is a very tough challenge at at the mojang studios in, in stockholm to get that right um i'm going to mention valheim as something that i recently take a took a look at as a survival voxel type game or a low low poly game and i just originally when i saw it i thought that looks cool but i don't want another survival building game in voxels in my my repertoire like in my gameplay time i'd rather spend mm. if i want that kind of experience i'm just going to play minecraft i've already got a lot of time into it it makes more sense to spend more time there for me i play satisfactory which yes it is a building game and yes it is a resource management game but it's modern graphics and 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 large scale and has a lot of different things going for it and so it's not a survival game like it removes that element of it it's just kind of like design and building and problem solving so I, I feel like I have the right kind of combination. So I don't want to slam Vintage Story and anybody that likes it, but I feel like one of the things that's that's a challenge for me with these games is to find them and, and get them to be something that I can fit that gives me something that I don't get already from, from Minecraft. Um, I know that uh, a lot of developers and a lot of games start off as mods. Uh, Dota, which is one of the first, if not the first MOBA, uh, was a mod for Warcraft 3 defense of the ancients yeah. and and yeah. that spawned not only a very robust game tournaments professional gaming um league of legends came after that like spawned a whole genre of of games that have become very very popular so you know don't knock the the mods that turn into potential games i think skyblock is a good example in minecraft of a mod that is kind of it's kind of a game on its own because while it's still Minecraft, it's just, it's so different within the Minecraft kind of sphere that it feels like yeah. its own thing. Yeah. You have to approach it very, very differently. For sure. And yeah. And I think probably one of the, the ones that always kind of comes to mind for me is Counter-Strike, which was a, you know, a Half-Life mod. And it's just kind of Counter-Strike almost kind of seems like it was all kind of baked in. But again, that was just a mod that, that took off so popular that, it ended up being incorporated in. And so it would be interesting if that's kind of how you end up with Skyblock, if that could end up just being a different play mode. Uh, you've got creative survival and then Skyblock as a, a sort of integrated thing would still work because it would still feel like it was still part of that because it isn't too far out for what it is. Moving on to what we have been watching this week. Do you want to start first? I know that you've been um, speaking with me about this behind the scenes about the Netflix show that you've been watching. Yeah, it's a, it's a show called Pepsi Where's My Jet. Well, I say a show. It's not really a show. It's a documentary, a four-part series, so not very long either. And uh, the, the thing that kind of got it on my radar was I, I saw a news article that came up that, saying that it got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a a 76% audience score, but when it just said like 100%, like, okay, well, what's this about then? And then, and just it being called Pepsi Where's My Jet, it was starting to trigger memories of something that I remember happening. And essentially what happened was Pepsi ran a promotion. And I remember this happening. I remember hearing about it, but they ran a promotion where you could collect Pepsi points and you could then redeem those against things like duffel bags or um or a t-shirt or a jacket that's all pepsi branded but they also had in the commercial it said right at the very end harrier jet seven million pepsi points and it was supposed to be seen as a joke you know like well you're not going to get this you're not going to get seven million pepsi points um but the thing is there was no small print there was there was nothing (laughs) saying like this is not actually a thing and there was one kid, his name uh, was John Leonard, and he went through, did a lot of number crunching to try and figure out how could you get 7 million Pepsi points? Like how many cans of Pepsi, how many bottles, you know, where would you have to store it all and stuff um, to get to this? Because he wanted that Harrier jet. And I remember hearing about this over in the UK, like it, it did end up hitting all the news stories because he wanted this, he ended up applying for it, and Pepsi went back to him and went, no. There's, there's no jet. 
and he wanted it and he you know they ended up in a, a big legal battle and so this whole documentary is about that about John Leonard teaming up with uh, someone called Todd Hoffman friend of his uh, who helped invest uh, some of the money to be able to do all of this and they end up uh, bringing in Michael Avenatti who's an American trial lawyer very high profile uh, does a lot of high profile cases and one of the few lawyers that's been invited to be interviewed on um, shows like Stephen Colbert uh, because he was involved in the whole Stormy Daniels thing. He was the, the lawyer oh, for that with Trump. So that's the kind of high profile cases we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so to hear about this as a kid and then for it to completely escape my memory and then to see this documentary, it's, it's actually really, really good, really well done. Um, they even have everybody that they interview whether it's you know these sort of high profile people, you got people working at uh, Pepsi themselves, John's mum, <laughs> whoever it is, they have them do a blind taste test between Coca Cola and Pepsi, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> which is a nice little gimmick. And you know when the Pepsi guys choose the Pepsi, they're like yeah. And then when the people who who weren't on Pepsi side choose Coca Cola, they're like yeah, we're happy with that. And then there's sometimes when they get the other one, and it's like, uh, can I do a retry? <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. Do you do you have a preference out of curiosity? Day to day Coca Cola, that's the one that I like most. But Pepsi, I go with when I want a bit of variety, and I find that Pepsi goes better with pizza. And I purely put that down to memories of going to Pizza Hut, where exclusively all they had was was Pepsi. So um, I think that's kind of ties into that there. So yeah, typically Coca Cola. But if I'm having pe- uh, pizza, then it's Pepsi. How about yourself? We were a Pepsi family, I think. Like whenever mom picked it up, um, well, really, and we pivoted quite quickly into like no name brands. Like around here, Big Eight was was like a no name uh, cola, uh, usually a lot cheaper Mm. than than Pepsi or Coke. Um, I prefer Coke uh, in terms of like because I you know a mixed drink, you know, like a rum and Coke or something like that. I I prefer that that kind of combo. Um, and so, and very rarely do I drink just Coke on its own, but I think the Coke thing comes from like, I think that's what they had at McDonald's or Wendy's. Like whenever, wherever we went, when we were teenagers, you know, to get, to get that meal when you're out driving with the boys, uh, that hamburger and fries and and a Coke, like that was kind of the thing. And, uh, so that's, that's why uh, I think I gravitate towards Coke, but that, and as an adult, like the mixed drink sort of idea, I, um, Mm. I normally I, I'm not a big soft drink guy anyway. Like I usually prefer something else. Uh, I'll prefer beer over most things. So it doesn't it doesn't really phase me in that way. I do remember. And I don't remember. I like the Pepsi Point thing is definitely something I recall. But the thing that mm. pops into my brain was Pop Caps. I'm not sure if you remember these. I think this was a Coke thing, but inside the top of the lid in like a 650 ml bottle which around here, they were plastic. Uh, you could mm. pop the plastic liner out of the lid and inside of that would be like a free drink or, you know, like yep. a 50, 50 cents off or like it would give you like a, a little bit of a discount on your next, your next Coke. Uh, and yeah, so I yeah, remember, because I remember almost losing fingernails trying to get the damn things out of the lid. <laughs> it's like you needed a <laughs> screwdriver to get them out. Like it was just like really frustrating, but you'd be trying to get yeah. it like while you're in the car. Like you just, you're never at a point where you're at home where you can have like a butter knife to like get the thing out. So it was always tricky. And they were in the, the tops of the two liters as well. And the two liters had bigger prizes mm. and stuff. But I, th- that's another reason why I don't drink um, software, uh, soft drinks as, as an adult is because I, like to buy a two liter, like I can't go through it before it goes flat. Yeah. So I only buy it if I have company over. Well, that hasn't happened for like three years. So, <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I haven't done it, but, but yeah, I, I do remember the, the Pepsi points thing. I just don't think I was participating as a kid. I remember seeing the commercials and stuff like that. Yeah. I remember hearing the story. I don't think that that was ever run in the UK. It was, it was a thing that was run in, um, in the U S and Canada. So they were running the commercials, although uh, the one in Canada actually had the legal small print on, whereas in the US it didn't, which, you know, for advertising is a, is a big bit of a problem for something like this. But, and that's what makes the story so interesting as well. And it's, it's definitely worth checking out. So it sounds like it was a well-made documentary. Yeah, and, and four parts, it was, it was long enough. Like, it didn't need to be any longer than that. I think it's, that's it's good. a good length because... A lot of these tend to go on to like six or eight episodes for it. Oh, yeah. There's 
there's a little bit where it's like well, maybe they're going a little bit too much with this. I, I wouldn't have wanted more than four episodes. So it's yeah, I'm happy with it. Well, speaking of something that is concise and tightly wound into a consistent 10 episodes, I have been watching The Crown season five. Mm. Uh, not the geekiest thing. I, I understand that for, for the, the Citadel Cafe. However, I know I've mentioned it before on the show. And I, I guess there's a lot of people out there that would follow like everything that happens with the royal family. And they would consider, you know, like royalty geeks, I guess. Uh, I am not one of those people. I'm not exactly a monarchist by any stretch, but I do find the history of it very fascinating, especially as a Canadian, uh, because we are part of the Commonwealth. And in particular with the passing recently of Queen Elizabeth II, and just having a little bit more attention on the royal family in the last little while, digging into the history of it was really fascinating for me. And to touch briefly on the, on the first season, just in general, that's all stuff that happened before I was born. This is the kind of thing that was happening when my grandparents were my age, right? And they would have been paying very yeah. close attention to that kind of stuff. My grandfather was in the Second World War. Um, I think he was in the Princess Louise Fusiliers. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but it's it's one of those things where queen and country were definitely front and center in, in his life experience. And the royal family and that kind of stuff always reminds me of my grandparents. Uh, and the crown tends to come out either near Christmas or around Remembrance Day. It's when it usually premieres on Netflix. I've been watching for the, the full five seasons. I've just finished the fifth this uh, last week. Very seldom lately do I get to binge a show or let myself binge a show. I was definitely watching two at a time on this. I didn't, I didn't sit down and watch all of them all at once, but there mm. were times when like I would watch two at lunchtime <laughs> and then I would watch one <laughs> in the evening and then I would watch another one at lunchtime the next day and then another two the next evening. So it really only took me three or four days to get through the 10 episodes of, of season five. Uh, mm. I will simply say that the acting is spectacular and yes, that's true yeah. across all the seasons. There's not been a casting um, choice that I found um strange i think the only thing that would be off-putting is that sometimes these people aren't very nice and it's it's a historical dramatization so like no one knows what's actually happening behind closed doors but there are some facts out mm. there you know news bulletins historical events that kind of thing that that hinge and and push these characters forward into the conversations that you get to witness but you never really like you don't look at it from a, a point of like, oh, this isn't a great actor or I don't really like this presentation. It's more like if the if there's something that's making you feel icky, it's because it is an icky situation, you know? And yeah. um, this is now in season four and five going into events that are within my lifetime. Uh, so season five covers the divorce of Princess Diana and Prince Charles. I remember that happening. I was young. Like I remember, oh, yeah. but I remember seeing yeah. it on TV, not really understanding it, but I, I remember I was young. I remember mm -hmm. where I was specifically when Diana passed away. Uh, and, and I think that is what they're going to be covering in the sixth season of the show. And, yeah. and so having all that kind of stuff front and center now, the curiosity of the earlier seasons going like, I don't know what any of this is seeing how the Royal family reacts to like the moon landing and stuff like that. Like that was fascinating to me, but then, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I, like, cause it, cause I, it goes through the six, yeah. Cause so it goes through the sixties, like it goes through the forties, the fifties and the sixties. And yeah. what they do yeah. is they recast the show every two seasons because essentially each two seasons covers roughly two decades. So right. they have to recast because the characters get older. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and obviously like prime ministers change in Britain, like all that kind of stuff. So yeah. for me, this was one of the strongest castings. I I've liked a lot of it, but this was the strongest combo ensemble cast. You've got Imelda Staunton as Queen Elizabeth II, Jonathan Price, mm -hmm. who I adore as Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, Dominic West plays Prince Charles, and he does a very, very good job. Elizabeth Debicki is a chameleon and plays Princess Diana. And Leslie Manville plays Princess Margaret. And Princess Margaret is one of the more complicated characters and have, has had some excellent actors play uh, Princess Margaret over the course of the, the seasons. Vanessa Kirby would be my favorite. 
and mm. I really enjoyed her um, early um, Princess Margaret. But then this Leslie Manville uh, Princess Margaret was also like wiser and more matter of fact and less of a loose cannon. So it was it was a lot more interesting. Specifically, any kind of scene between Margaret and Elizabeth, I thought those were very like they're sisters. Like they're just they're talking as sisters and less like yeah. combatants. They've they've kind of mellowed into their roles a bit. Um, really enjoyed that you get to hear so much from Prince Philip in this series. Uh, and most of it, again, focuses on Dominic West and Prince Charles. And what I will say is that they do a really good job of presenting both sides of the story. I felt earlier seasons, they got a little one-sided with Princess Charles and Diana. And, and this, I think, was a little bit more of a balance. It's still a terrible thing and still <laughs> like not, it's not, it's not a happy season by any stretch, uh, but it it definitely has a yes. This was a terrible thing that happened, but not everybody. Like no one was walking on on glass here, you know. <laughs> like yeah. everybody was walking on eggshells and crunching them pretty hard. Like not no one made flawless choices uh, in handling all of this, and um, I found it fascinating and just so well acted. It's just so easy to watch. So what, like, where, where are you with your watch of it? Cause you said that you're watching as well. Yeah. I, it's been something that's been on my watch list for a very long time. And, um, what often comes up is you're British, so you should like this, mm -hmm. <laughs> which, which also kind of makes me go, I'll, I'll watch it later then. Um, a bit, but I'm on season one. I'm, I've finished the eighth episode, so I'm about okay. to start the ninth. So I'm just coming towards the end of the first episode and yeah, the, the casting like John Lithgow, uh, you know, as um, as Winston Churchill, phenomenal. And then you've also got Matt Smith as as Philip the Duke of Edinburgh. Is yeah, it, it it's wonderful just sort of seeing all these people. In a way, it's a shame knowing that they'll be recast later. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a fascinating show, really interestingly done. Um, I've seen pictures of Elizabeth uh, Debicki as Princess Diana, and I I agree, absolute chameleon, just looks pretty spot on and i think that the thing that kind of got me invested into watching it again was one i had a friend of mine who was raving about like you need to see it this is one of the best shows on tv right now so um you know i respect her, her opinion with this greatly and i also ended up watching a documentary called the princess i've been watching a lot of documentaries recently it's weird um but it's a documentary on H by hbo and it's just I think you'll really enjoy it if you haven't seen this yet, Joel, because it's it's all the footage, all the news footage about Princess Diana. Oh wow! About her, yeah, about you know the marriage, the divorce, her death, and so there's no interviews. It's just audio clips and video clips of everything that was going on. So you're kind of following it through as it was in the day. So it's all kind of done as though it's you know present tense for everything, rather than looking back. So you're just kind of just evolving with it. And so it's, it's weird kind of going through and remembering like, I remember that exact news report on the BBC. That's the exact news story that I remember watching. And so it's, it's fascinating there. So to see that and then to be able to see how they're going to do it dramatically in the crown is something that I'm actually really looking forward to. And that's kind of motivating me to, to go, okay, you know, I want to I get to season five. I want to see how that all plays out. I think you'll enjoy it. I, I think that it, you yeah. don't even have to, because like I said, I'm not a monarchist. Like it's not, I've never been like obsessed with Same. the royal family yeah. like i it's interesting yeah. and cool and from a history perspective but like i don't really i i kind of look at it in the same way of like celebrities like i just i don't care that much you know <laughs> like it's, it's, <laughs> there's only a few celebrities where if they're interviewed i'll actually stop and watch them just because i find them to be fascinating people like dwayne johnson like he's just an interesting guy i'll watch him be interviewed yeah. then there's other people who are just like yeah. i don't care like matthew mcconaughey i don't really care what matthew mcconaughey has to say he's been in some movies i enjoy him but like i don't as an interviewee like i just don't find him that interesting so mm. i i think that i i look at the the royal family in the same sort of way like and especially where you know you read articles and things that come up where um when queen elizabeth ii passed away and then obviously king charles iii now uh, with the crown there was a lot to mention about like the amount of charity work that prince charles had done and i had only i hadn't seen episode or season five yet i had recently watched three and four they don't paint charles all that great in in seasons three and four and 
you just you you're left with kind of an impression of him. I've I've been left with an impression of him from the news, um, but nowhere <laughs> in my in my years on the planet did I realize just how much money he raised for inner city, you know, programs. I'm like, oh, okay, well that's really cool that <laughs> that the um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but there's some sort of trust. I think it's the Prince Charles Trust um, yeah. has just done like absolutely tons of work for giving opportunities to young people. And I think that is really, really cool to see. And I'm glad it's not really a spoiler, but I'm glad that they made that like an entire episode in season five. Like they focused on that. It's a, it feels mm -hmm. good. It's a good thing. And it, it felt like it came in at the right time because of course, during the whole divorce thing, there's a lot of drama and a lot of like sad stuff. So to have like yeah. at the same time, Prince Charles trying to find himself and what he's going to do at his age like what kind of things could he do to help the country to like to do that i thought like that's really cool to have some some good news for a change you know what i mean yeah one thing that i noticed immediately about elizabeth debicki i mean on top of all of her acting chops because she's phenomenal is like the, her mannerisms and her stature i know that princess diana was tall she was like five eight or five nine or something like that elizabeth debicki is six foot three almost and so when you see her get out of a little car <laughs> She kind of unfolds into this giant human and that's tall for, that's tall for a male actor, let alone a female actor. Right. And so yeah. when she's, when she's in a scene next to anybody, she's just this tower. I mean, she's beautiful, but she's just this tower of a human. And it's just, it's really, really funny to, to notice it just like as a tall person myself, I'm not, I'm not six or three. She's taller than me. And it's just like, wow, she's tall. <laughs> You, know, you just you notice it like right away and uh, uh but again like it, it makes sense because of like it adds to that like gracefulness that that princess diana has because when debicki moves through a scene like she kind of flows do they have to do the thing that they they tend to do in hollywood where they try and adjust the height of people so they'll have somebody standing on a box or have slightly bigger shoes or they'll have somebody just down a little bit lower just to try and even out the heights a little bit do you know if they do that or they just like you're this tall and we're keeping you this tall. They might do it for some shots, perhaps for any kind of close-ups or mid shots, but a lot of, because of where they're set, uh, the scenes and the scenery is so ornate. A lot of the conversations are full, like full body mm. or at least down to the knees. Like, so it, if they do that, they might shoot it where the queen is closer to the camera. So the queen appears taller, but cause I'm not, I don't know how tall Amilda um, Swinton is. But it, it's one of those things where Diana was taller than Charles. And so when they showed Debicki and Charles next to one another, like holding hands, like she's much taller than him, you know? <laughs> and I mean, it may, but that's the truth. Like it just, it makes sense. And, and yeah. uh, so I don't think they hide it too much. There might be a couple of scenes, but very often there's anything too dramatic is they're sitting down. And so whenever she's in a chair, I mean, she still looks tall, but she's not towering over everybody because she's, she's obviously sitting down. There's one thing you've actually reminded me, and that was that I think the first impression I got watching the pilot episode was, my God, the set design. Oh, it's beautiful. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're doing some stuff on location. I imagine the entire thing is built. I imagine it's a closed set kind of thing, but it's just, yeah, it's phenomenal. Some of those uh, those buildings just look beautiful. And, you know, if it if they're not on location for some of the stuff, then the set designers have just done a terrific job. Uh, it's, it's almost jaw-dropping seeing it. It's just kind of like you're spending a little bit of time trying to keep an eye on the <laughs> the actors and what's going on. And it's like, but I mean, just look at how good this is. Yeah. No, the production quality it's is almost distracting. It's that out way. of this world. Yeah, it's yeah. out of this world. And I think that's one of the reasons why I considered it as something to talk about on the show because like as someone that follows film and, and, and is a bit of a, a geek in that way and just enjoys production design and enjoys the cinematography of all of this and the way that they tell stories in this show, like mm. it really does showcase some of the coolest kind of craft behind what is not a sci-fi fantasy, you know, Marvel, yeah, like yeah. epic thing. There's no CG <laughs> or actually there might be, but it's used in a way that's probably meant to like, you know, show somebody from years ago, like de-aging somebody, you know, like showing a flashback, yeah. like that kind of stuff. And that I find really fascinating as well. Or digitally removing an airplane that shouldn't exist from the background. For sure. Like that. And that could be very much a thing. 
Moving on to the Internet Minute, which is, of course, brought to you by you, dear listener. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will uh, get you an invite to the member-only Discord server that's shared with my personal Discord and, of course, access to the Burst to Cut bonus audio sessions. Special thanks to Bean Counter Patrons Cosmic and Smurf588. Thanks very much for your support on this episode. Patron count is at 27. That's down one from the last time we recorded. Our goal each episode is to have at least one more patron than the previous show. If you would like to be patron number 28, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. I have a very tall uh, build to share. Speaking of height, uh, it is the Lego Eiffel Tower set. Uh, I want to say it is set number 10307. And it is 10,001 pieces. They couldn't get it down to 10,000. They had to do the one. And what I find funny <laughs> is that there is one little French flag at the very top of it. So I just, I find that crowning piece very amusing. That's probably the one piece then, yeah. Yeah, it is $800 Canadian. So it's a hefty, hefty set because it's 59 inches tall, <laughs> Alistair. It's four foot nine. It's taller than most children. Uh, <laughs> to really get a scale for it, you have to check out the image on the Lego site. Uh, but halfway down in the gallery, there's a man putting it together on a table. And it is much taller than him. It's about a foot and a half to two feet taller than him while it's sitting on a table. Like, it, this is massive. Uh, yeah. It is, like I said, 59 inches tall, 23 inches wide, and 23 inches deep. So the base is a giant square. And, of course, it's you know shaped very much like the Eiffel Tower. Uh, it's not for me, uh, while I think it is fantastic as a model, as a Lego architectural achievement and, and engineering achievement, it's very, very cool. I'm just not like a Paris, France fan, nor would I have any place to put it in my apartment because it is massive, massive. And I can, however, see it in architectural offices. If somebody was an architect and they had the space for it in their home or their home office, like mm -hmm. I can absolutely see this being a lovely experience to put together for someone that has the kind of respect and understanding for what the Eiffel Tower is as an architectural achievement. And I, it's very cool that Lego did it. I'm surprised at the scale of it because like that, this has to be a niche customer, you know? With it being taller than a child, I mean, you could even get your money's worth and just spread it out over time and just as your child gets bigger, you're just monitoring their height, but instead of a little chalk mark on the door, for them, <laughs> you're, just, you're just building up your Eiffel Tower. And eventually, you know, it, 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 you're, you're now the height of the Eiffel Tower, son. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But that, I, I do have a question about it, though, because there's a lot of Lego kits that come with lighting kits. Or not come with, but they've been ones designed. Like you show me a phenomenal one for the Back to the Future DeLorean, where there's a whole lighting kit for that. Um, isn't there like a big uh, trademark thing with the lighting for the Eiffel Tower? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think there's supposed to be like the lighting rig for it is supposed to be copyrighted. So you can't take pictures, you know, and sell them with all the lighting illuminated on it because it's considered art and it's copyright. So I wonder if somebody tried to make a lighting kit for the Eiffel Tower, is that something they could be sued for? That I don't know. There's also lots of other licensed stuff, like I mean, the lighting kit for Optimus Prime, the lighting kit for the DeLorean. I, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. They don't seem to come with their own licensed things because I, I think it's just like it's for a Lego set, and you yeah. could use the lighting for anything. And maybe they just have to make sure that the lighting set that they do for the Eiffel Tower is different than what actually happens on the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, that that would probably be the only way to get around doing it without any of that legal risk. But it'd be interesting, though. Uh, I should also mention it does not come out until tomorrow, November 25th. So uh, it's it's not out yet. Usually these things have to be released for before the light kits are available. Um, it might take a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, it, so, it's, a, it's a massive, massive build. Yeah, I'll tell you what, though. If I had this when I was a kid, I would 100% be using my Superman minifig and just recreating scenes for Superman 2. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I think of the Eiffel Tower, that's where my head goes. doesn't go to France, goes to Superman. And at the scale that it's built, it's not minifigure scale. Uh, the trees at the very bottom of it are, are like the, the micro trees, the micro design trees for Lego. So a minifigure yeah. would be as tall as a tree in this particular set. 
um, because That's of fair, yeah. yeah, well, just because of the scale of, of this. But like, if yeah. you if you had a big room in a Lego city, I can I can see this being something that you might want to include. Uh, it mm. might, you might not want to build the bottom part of it, like the bottom part with the trees. You might want to change and just kind of like fudge the scale a little bit. But other than that, it's, um, <laughs> it's something else. But anyway, that's that's my pick this week. To stick to the theme of documentaries, which, as I said, I've for some reason been into, um, there's actually a really good one being put together uh, by Slopes Game Room about cloud gaming's first biggest failure known as OnLive. Now, OnLive is a service that I absolutely loved when it came out. So it's basically you log on either through the website, you had a little very small set-top box. Um, so there's a bunch of different ways to play it. And you'd just be logging onto a server remotely and playing the game from then. It would just be streamed to you. And it was phenomenal. It was done really well. Um, I was there for the UK launch. I actually went as a member of the press to Excel in London, to the exhibition center there. Uh, so this was about September 2011. And I got to meet the guy who designed the whole thing, Steve Perlman. And uh, we were able to sort of have a private conversation one-on-one, which was really, really cool just to, to find out more about stuff. And yeah, I, I was just a huge, huge fan of it. Problem was, things went a little south. It was very much so ahead of its time. And uh, there was a few business decision mistakes that didn't work. And it, it sadly failed. But I've always loved on live. I still have a t-shirt from that launch day, uh, which I love. So you may probably even see me wearing it at some point in the past, Joel. I have worn it quite a bit. But um, yeah, uh, so Slopes Game Room on YouTube, uh, he's just done a really good breakdown of everything. And he's very, very fair with everything that's there. Um, But eventually, a lot of that technology was bought by Sony and became PlayStation Now. And yet, even then, that and Google Stadia, I don't feel that they even hold a candle to what OnLive was was doing back then. Everything that they promised, they delivered on. And just the experience was great. And I I have a very soft spot, and I, I feel nostalgic about it. And it's one of those, I wish that one had been the one that won. Uh, but definitely worth checking out. If you've never heard of OnLive, or, or you, you've heard of it, and you just want to know more, it's just so in-depth and, and really, really well done. So my only experience with uh, cloud gaming is with Xbox because with Game Pass Ultimate, I have access to xCloud, which is um, Mm. Microsoft's version. And I have not done it enough. I've done it a little bit on a game that looks kind of cool, but I don't necessarily want to download it and play it on the Xbox. Like I just want to try it to see if I like it. And I've done that. I've done the cloud gaming thing. And it depends on the game. It depends on the the graphic fidelity. It depends on what you need for reaction time, that kind of thing. If it's turn-based, you're fine. Uh, if it's something that is a little bit more in depth, like I tried to play Sniper Elite Five, which is a dumb name for a game, but apparently <laughs> I, I was just looking for a World War II type shooter, and I just I did I wanted right. to turn yeah. my brain off and kind of go on the rails and just kind of like shoot Nazis and kind of go on an adventure and whatever. And yep. it felt fine as a game, but it it really had some graphic issues when you went from zooming in on your scope to zooming out it would kind of like reload the whole image you remember how jpegs were loaded on the internet in like 1997 like it it did that a bit now that was the first time i've had that kind of experience i've had some low poly stuff happen but it was not like something that would completely disorient to you it would just be like you'd Mm -hmm. lose resolution like you'd go from like 4k down to to 1080p or from 1080p down to 720 for a for a second and then it would come back Mm. Uh, I think that was on like a, a cartoony type adventure game. So like it wasn't the end of the world uh, or you might kind of see like a slower load time going into a level and that's fine. Um, again, yeah. if you don't want to download the game, I should also mention that my Xbox is in the living room and it's on Wi-Fi. So I, I don't do enough multiplayer for me to warrant running a cable all the way to it. So mm. my cable box is in my studio. So I could also try some gaming on the PC and that's where I get really intrigued because if something comes out where... It's not available, but I looked because one of the things that I was trying to do was when ray tracing came out for Minecraft, I wanted to try it. I don't have a ray tracing video card, but I thought if, if I could do ray tracing over xCloud, that would be really cool. But it's, it's too intensive. They don't do it because it wouldn't look very good. People would be just like, this is crappy. It's not as good as they say it is when really what would be suffering, it would be the, the bandwidth, not the actual ray tracing. So yeah. 
So I didn't try it. Um, I remember being really interested in one live because I love the idea of having all of the hardware offsite and all you need yes. is a fast internet yep. connection, which while we play through the nose for it in Canada, I have a hundred megabits symmetrical. Yeah. I was able to play it on just a, a little Mac mini that was too underpowered to handle anything of, of that kind back in 2011. So it, it was massive. And they, they handled standard definition and up to 720p. So by modern standards, people would be like, oh, 720p, oh, that's not very good. But back then, it was, it was certainly good enough. It was still HD, and it still looked to work great. And Steve Perlman was one of the QuickTime engineers for Apple who came up with streaming in the first place. He was part of the team that figured out how to, uh, you know, what you needed to prioritize. That you need to prioritize audio. Because if you have jerky video, that's fine. But the moment audio starts to cut out, it's unbearable and just completely unwatchable. So the, he was right there at the forefront of how you actually stream video over the internet. And that's what kind of led him to doing this, which is why it's such a fascinating uh, conversation that he and I were able, were able to have. But yeah, they, they, they just pumped the video through really, really well. Uh, there was a little bit of latency, which I think affected things like first player games, uh, first player, first person <laughs> games even. But... Yeah, for, for what it was marketed as, it it did everything that they kind of intended. And just playing it was like, this is the future of gaming. Even if it's not what it is right now, uh, if this is too soon for what it should be, it's it's certainly where it eventually I feel it'll end up. Um, it's just a shame that the other services just don't seem to feel like they're quite hitting the mark as well as OnLive was back in the day. Can you imagine where we're going to be when services like OnLive, wh whatever they happen to be in the future, like whatever that, that service ends up being, whether it's tied into existing architecture from like Apple or Microsoft or whatever, or uh, another company. And then mm. you combine that with wherever we get to that tipping point with virtual reality, that is going to be really interesting. Really, really interesting yeah. to me. Uh, I held off on getting a VR headset just because I just, I kind of figured it wasn't quite the right time. I knew there had to be a couple more iterations before it was really going to be the experience that I wanted, mm -hmm. the experience that yeah. we have in our heads from the 80s sci-fi. You know what I mean? It's getting close to that experience that it's was advertised but never delivered. Yeah, it's it's getting real close. And I think the problem is that the, the companies that are in charge, like Meta seems to be leading the way right now. And that that is getting That's a lot of criticism dubious. <laughs> yeah like it's, it's getting a lot of criticism and we'll leave it at that because I, I don't know enough to really get into it i just kind of see impressions yeah. and it's like you watch a couple of youtube videos but like I, these are people that just make videos in their home i'm sure they're i mean they're talented and they've done some research but like i don't I, i've not seen enough videos on it to make my own call you know to figure like all right well i've watched 12 videos and they all say this is problematic so it must be a, an issue it's i've only watched like one or two videos but I like the idea. I like the idea of doing some VR stuff. Uh, one of the games that I wish I could try in VR is No Man's Sky, even though I've had some issues with the game oh, over yeah. the years. Like I, I yeah. have watched some of my favorite streamers that I, uh, um, Tangent is, is a person I enjoy quite a lot, lot. And he has been on, I mean, he, this guy plays video games for his job and he's just like, No Man's Sky, it's got its problems, but boy, like VR, it's, it's something else. Like it takes it to a whole other level and while there are still issues, like those issues melt away, like the moment you take off in a spaceship and you can look around, like you can fly forward, but you can turn your head and look out the window to the left. He's like, that is bananas. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that to him was just like, this is crazy cool. And the disconnect for me is always watching people like seeing the weird, like floaty hand things that, that happen. Yeah. Like that to me is a strange, is a strange, strange thing. So at least unlike the nineties where movies would tell us, if you disconnect from VR without shutting down properly, you end up in a coma. At least that's not a reality that we have to deal with when it comes to VR. No, that's that's very, very true. Speaking of VR, though, we've got some interesting stuff to talk about on next week's show. Stephen ESC is going to be back, and we're going to be talking about more of the peripheral uh, as well as some other shows. So that is kind of taking the whole idea of virtual reality or virtual, I guess, control to a whole other level. And so that's going to be an interesting chat as well. And so for folks that are watching along, uh, if, if you want to catch up before next week's uh, The Citadel Cafe, then you can listen to uh, Stephen and I talk about the peripheral. 
Well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can get more information about the show and some of the things that Alistair and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. Music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com or find the show by name on Twitter. Subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app. You can even find the show on YouTube. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am up to online at joelduggan.com. Listen to my other podcast about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. Follow me on social media at Joel Duggan and of course Joel Duggan on Twitch where I stream at least Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, mostly from the Citadel server, but we're also doing Lego every Friday. And of course, I've been fitting in extra streams during the week. Alistair, where can people find you online? Well, I'm Alistair McFly, and you can check out both of my Star Trek retrospective podcasts over at longrangesensors.com. We have a new episode out where we get to take a look at Whispers, one of the first episodes for Chief O'Brien to be tortured by the writers of Deep Space Nine. Plus, I've recently returned to Twitch, so if you want to see me harvest sugarcane by drowning chickens in lava, as I mentioned earlier, then you can do so at twitch.tv slash Alistair McFly. And I am, of course, as well, at Alistair McFly on Twitter for as long as Twitter exists. You've been listening to The Sizzle Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.